0: Listen, you are in the second week of an amazing series called The Way of Jesus. Say that with me. Come on. The Way of Jesus. And I believe this to be much more than just a fun series or maybe just another series that would be good for the spring or before Jesus and before Easter comes. It's just like, I believe that this is a word to you for this hour. When we look at the world in which we live and we look at the challenges that we're facing and we look at the brokenness around us, we look at the hopelessness and the despair and the fear and the anxiety, and you throw all of that into the middle. What this world needs is people that understand the way of Jesus. And one of the things that is really important as we talk about this subject, and I know that you'll hear about this over the next coming four weeks, is this idea that we should all want to be good at following Jesus, not just thinking that Jesus is good. And what I mean by that is is that our behavior should match our beliefs. Like what we believe and what we sing about today should be something that we live tomorrow. And it's not something that we just believe internally or privately. In other words, our faith is not some kind of intellectual, ethereal construct. It's not this privatized thing that I just live between me and Jesus, but actually it's something that he calls us to be for those around us is that the way of Jesus is to live like Jesus and share his love. And that is is that we actually, as he begins to transform us and to do great things in our life, we should be so contagious that we can't help but to let the world know around us that's broken and desperate and hurting, that there's an answer and there's a hope and there's a solution to your fear or your depression or your suicidal tendencies or your addictions. Jesus is the way. He's the only way, and we should be able to help people understand that. And Jesus modeled this to us. And In fact, in Luke 19, verse 10, and maybe if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Jesus defines another way of Jesus and what you're going to see over these six weeks of these of this series are the different attributes of Jesus and one of the ones that we're going to look at today is one of his I want to call it more prominent um, attributes and when you look at what he's doing here he's he's not only just living a way in which he came to live but he's modeling a way that we should emulate, and in Luke 19.10, he says this. He says, for the son of man, speaking of himself, he came to, and and this, this Greek language here gives reference to this idea that there's a purpose and there's a reason for why he came. It's like it's really important when you read this that you understand that they're trying to, the, the, the writer, Dr. Luke, is trying to help us understand that there is a primary purpose that you and I can't miss. And it says that he came to seek and to save. Seek has action attached to it. It has this idea of proactivity, that you're actually moving beyond just what you were doing, thinking about others, seeking, stepping out, and looking for ways in which to seek and then to save something. And he says, lost people, and that means simply those that are far from God. And so his primary mission really was to come and die so that you and I could be found and reconciled to God. How many are excited that Jesus did that for you? About four of you, five of you, that's awesome. Um, But when you look at it, 66, and I want you to catch this because I'm going to go somewhere with this. 66% of his entire recorded ministry situations was him living to seek and save someone that was broken or hurting, someone that was far from God. He didn't do that just because he loved them. He did that because he wanted to model to you and I how we should live. When we call ourselves, for those of you that would be Jesus followers, Christians, that means that we actually reflect or that we're an image of or that we live like Christ. And so when we talk about the way of Jesus, we recognize that two-thirds, 66% of his life was focused on living this way. And maybe one of the ways of Jesus that we should be looking at in this time, in this broken world, is that maybe there should be an increased passion and urgency in our life to think about all those people that God's put in our life, broken and hurting people remember just yesterday, I was out just finally getting a day off. I'm going to work in my yard and clean my yard. And I ended up spending more time talking to neighbors in the excavator next door about Jesus than I did mowing my lawn. Because I recognized that even in the midst of this, this guy drives up to start working on the yard. It's just like, like God, maybe you put him there while I was working out there today to have a conversation. And maybe I should at least enter into a conversation hoping and believing that maybe I could share the love of Christ and was able to pray with him and to talk with him. Why? Because I believe that I'm called like you to seek and to save those that are lost. And So I want to do this this morning. I want us to pray that God's going to do something in our heart. Um, You know, Jesus said that we shouldn't go into hibernation Last two years has kind of been that way. But we're to go into every nation. We're not to be preoccupied till he comes, but we're to occupy till he comes. And and I want to believe that in this prayer that something's going to happen in your heart and in my heart today. That maybe there would be something that happens where we have this like increased passion to be aware of those around us that are broken and hurting. Maybe we have something to offer them. Is is anybody a candidate today? Be careful what you pray for. You just might get it. Come on. Do me a favor. Let me pray for you. Come on. Jesus, we stop before we go any further. And God, we ask you to have your way in our lives. Speak to us. Encourage us. Inspire us. Transform us. Wreck us. Convict us. Whatever you've got to do. For us to walk in the way of Jesus. And if you agree with that prayer, say amen. 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 Well, you know, this morning I want to start with an illustration um, that's taken from a recent study that was done by a group called Lloyd's of London. And Lloyd's of London isn't necessarily a survey or study group. They're an insurance company. They started as a coffee shop back in 1688 and they've been known to insure strange things. So they would insure things like Bruce Springsteen's voice. That They insure Gene Simmons' tongue from Kiss. For those of you that don't know Kiss, that tongue that sticks out about this far. <laughs> um, they insure uh, Tom Jones, or they did insure Tom Jones' chest hair. And there were a lot of them. They even insured ugly Betty's braces for $10 million. But here's the interesting thing about this company is that they also um, do these national studies, such as why do knuckles crack? Or who goes bald first? I was really interested in that study, Mark. You would understand, like it's probably because my hair felt out, but why? But felt, felt, fell out, but why? But they did this interesting study about paper clips. And they wanted to know what happened to the life of a paperclip. And so they took 100,000 of these little metal things and they dispersed them out into the workplace and they actually followed their journey. Some very surprising results came back. And I want to read those to you. 14,163 of them were bent and twisted during phone conversations. Anybody ever do that? Come on, wave at me. You just by the time you're off the phone, depends who you're talking to, right? If you're someone really mad, you know, it looks like a knot, you know, but, but we, we, we tend to do that with paper clips. 5,434 were used as toothpicks and ear scratchers, some of them at the same time. I don't recommend that, getting wax in your teeth. 3,916 were used to clean pipes. 5,308 were used to clean fingernails. 7,200 were used to hold clothing together. And we know who you are because the little metal sensor told us you've got paper clips holding stuff together. Any ladies here today that would have that? I don't think a guy would be that smart and think about that. But anyhow, 19,000, listen to this, 19,143 were used for chips as card games. And here's where I want to go in these last two. 25,480 fell to the floor and were swept away. They never were used for their intended purpose. The creator or the company that made them had a purpose for them, but they never fulfilled their purpose. And it says that that 19,980 were actually used to hold paper together. I stop and I think about that statistic, and if we could just be family and be really honest, I wonder how many of us are living out the reason why God even created us. See, our lives are not our own. 1 Corinthians tells us that we were bought with a price. That it wasn't asking Jesus to be involved in our life, but we actually died. It's no longer I who live, Galatians 2.20. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me, meaning that I am not my own. And that before the foundations of the world, Ephesians 1, 4 and 5, that he had you in mind. He created you before you even were in existence because you had value, you had purpose, and he had great plans for you to do something significant for him. You're not average. You're not insignificant. You are not just here by chance. God had a plan for your life. And so as I think about the paperclip analogy, we think somehow in society today, especially Western society, wants us to think through the idea that we get to make our plans, that we get to plan our future. How many have tried that? It doesn't really work very well. I mean, you just think you're going to do one thing and it turns out another thing. Why? It's because you make your plans, the Bible says, it says but God directs your steps. And so, as I think about this idea and I think about this paperclip, I, I think it's really important to ask ourselves this question. I would even encourage you to write it down and, and actually start your day with this question before the Lord Why am I really here? Like, really? Like, just start your day. Okay, God, as I start this day, Lord, what do you have for me today? God, my life is yours. I surrender today. God, I just want to be with you. I want to reflect you. God, whoever it is, God, put people. I pray this prayer every morning. God, put people in my path today that I might share the good news with you or with them about you. But like, why are we really here? There was a study that was just recently done with Christian adults, and the question was asked, what is your purpose in life? 94% of people either answered the question inaccurately or left it blank. These are Christian adults that said, I don't know really why I'm here. In fact, another statistic showed that 95% of Christians today have never led one person to Christ. And I stop and I think about this, and I I don't want to say this in a condemning way, but but it, it, it reveals to me that maybe we either have not been accurately trained, equipped, educated, or maybe we've ignored or we've denied the fact that one of the primary ways of Jesus is to be light and to be salt to the world around us. 85% of churches in America today are declining. Most pastors, over 85% of pastors have not shared their faith in the last six months outside of the pulpit. And you start hearing these things and you wonder why when you look at the world around us. It's like our tendency is, is again, if, if we don't have a right representation like of why we're here. Like our, our tendency is, if we're not careful, is we begin to buy into media and society's narrative that the world is falling apart. What you need to do is move or hide or run or ignore or just like escape. We're, we're, we're kind of like escapists. But from God's perspective, we need to recognize the reason why we're here is to go into the world, as Jesus said, and to be light and to be salt. Like we can't blame society right now for what's going on because that's what sinners do that are that live a life without God. They they do immoral things. They say immoral things. They live immoral lives. And we can get frustrated with those but we realize no that's why we're really here. Is we're here to engage. We're here to to put into our neighbors and our relatives and our family and our friends and our coworkers and by the way, people that aren't like us. Like at work, you're, you're, you're having conversations with someone like that doesn't vote like you and you want to separate. No, the reason why God put you there is to be like to them. Maybe they don't believe the way that you believe. Maybe they don't live the way that you live. Maybe they're struggling with gender confusion or sexual orientation or all those things. That's why we're here. Pastor Mark, this is so amazing. Amen. I agree with that. Come on, it's just like... There's there's a recent article I read, and I want to put a picture on the screen, and it was an article around this Indian entrepreneur. His name's Captain Gupta, and he had purchased an Airbus 300 jet, and um, it was a, a plane that can't fly. It doesn't have wings. It doesn't have engines. It doesn't have electricity, and he wanted to give people the opportunity to experience what it felt like to be on a plane. So they have flight attendants and they serve food. The lavatories don't work, so can't stay too long. But it's giving everybody this opportunity to come and to sit in something, but not necessarily be a part of what it really was designed to be. And they actually call it the experience or the flight that goes nowhere. Sadly, I know a lot of churches like that. <laughs> Not this church, of course. But it's like, why are we, I just want to go back to the question, why are we here? And when you think about your, your life, to ask yourself this question, like, when was the last time that I actually shared my faith? Like, when was the last time that it actually concerned me? that my next door neighbor doesn't know him? When was the last time I prayed for someone that doesn't know Christ? When was the last time I wept for someone that doesn't know him? And I come back to this idea is that, listen, we were created to seek and save the lost. And I, we're gonna put this on the screen. I want you to read this with me, make this a proclamation before we go any further. And it's this, read this with me, come on. The way of Jesus is to, okay, let's go back from the beginning. Let's, let's do this again. Come on, we can do this, come on. The way of Jesus is to seek and save the lost. That includes me. Nudge your neighbor and say, I think he's talking about you, right? Is that Jesus wants to make this extremely personal, We see throughout scripture, again, that this was a big concern for Jesus, and he understood the consequences of someone dying without him. Therefore, he was willing to give even his own life so that you could experience eternal life. And I want to read a couple scriptures, and I just want you to see this. John 4.35, and I want you to look at this. It says, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Jesus is talking to his disciples that missed an opportunity to bring an entire village to Christ or reach the woman at the well. And he knew that they were dull in their eyesight. And so he's saying, you guys just missed one of the most incredible opportunities. We'll unpack that again in a moment. Luke 10, 2 says, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. Even Jesus back then is acknowledging the fact that even his disciples, those closest to him, missed their primary purpose. It's interesting that Jesus actually asked them to pray for workers, if you read the rest of the scripture. He he wants us to pray for those that are far from God, but he introduces this thought, pray for workers. Why? Is because the issue isn't that people are closed. The issue is that we're unwilling to share. One out of four people surveyed recently said they would just come to a church service if a friend just invited them. Matthew 13, 23 says, The seed that fell on good soil, this is the parable of the sower and the seed, represents those who truly hear and understand God's work and produces a harvest. Once again, he's saying that everybody hears, and the whole analogy is that seed falls on rocky ground and falls on thorny ground, but there's just few that actually understand the way of Jesus and that they receive the word, they apply it, and they produce a harvest, meaning that there's actually people that come to Christ and are discipled as a result of their life. He says, there's just a few like that. Mark 16, 15, he says, go into all the world and preach the good news. Listen to these words, to everyone everywhere. Acts 1.8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, meaning you don't have to do it on your own, and you will be my witnesses telling people everywhere. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. And so what we see here over and over again throughout scripture is that the way of Jesus is to seek and save the lost, and that includes me. But here's where I I just want to go just a little bit deeper, and I I want you to catch this because here's what I found in my own life, and I'm, I'm just going to speak for myself, is that if I'm not continually reminding myself of the value of people and the urgency to share, I can just live my life and forget to seek and save the lost. And oftentimes it comes down to this idea of value. And let me say it this way, that the value that you place on that which is lost will determine the sacrifice you're willing to make to find it. So let me give you an analogy. I have here a penny. And if I was to say to someone right now, whoever is willing, sees extreme value in this, is willing to run in front of everybody else and grab this penny, it's yours. How many of you are going to run forward? Like, you're probably thinking, I'm not going to even waste the calorie. Why? Because it's it's just a penny. Little value, little concern, little passion. If you drop this, it probably wouldn't even mean much. If I was to say, here's a $100 bill. Now, if there's anybody here that will be willing to run up and grab the $100 bill, it's yours. You're going to be disappointed when you see it because it's... Increased value, (laughs) increased passion, increased sacrifice. So when you lose something of value, you lose a penny, you don't lose much sleep over it. You lose $100, you start looking for it. But let's increase it a little bit. Let's say that you were to lose your car keys. How many have lost their car keys and you know what happens as soon as you lose them? Everything else stops. Like there's 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 no other focus. Like you don't care. You're blaming it on your wife or your dog or your kids and you get all irritated and you start screaming, help me find my keys. Because you know if you don't find them, you're not going anywhere. How about your wallet? You lose your purse. Like it's like, Like the world stops trying to find those things. Let's take it one step further. Let's just let's increase the value. How about your kids? Maybe you lose your kids. And I know some of you are probably saying, "Then we're going to throw a party. I'm going to get. I want to lose all my kids today, right?" So, no hands on that one, please. But have have you ever really like lost a child? Like we had we had some friends that their daughter was kidnapped from our community. She was lost for 18 years before she was found. Her name was JC Lee Dugard. And I remember building a relationship with this beautiful couple and them just, they were obsessed trying to find JC, gone for 18 years. For us personally, we lost our youngest son, special needs boy, at age four in Mexico. One minute being lost wasn't a big deal. Two minutes, not really a big deal. Five minutes, started to be concerned. We were at a resort. Ten minutes, I'm calling security. Fifteen minutes, I'm taking charge of the entire resort, and I'm shutting it down myself. Twenty minutes, thirty minutes, we are panicking. Special needs, four-year-old boy, gone. Has he been kidnapped? Is he in a room being molested? Is he drowning in the beach? And I remember, it's just like, where's my son? Where's my son? I remember after about 45 minutes to an hour, he had walked across to another resort, got stuck in an elevator, and he's just goofing off in a hallway. And it's just like, when we found him, it's like, I'll never forget that feeling like he's found. Like, Kyle, oh my God, he's found. And I want to say it this way, that the value that you place on that which is lost, your neighbor, your coworker, your best friend, your sibling, your mom, your dad. The value that you place on that human life will determine the sacrifice you're willing to pay, your reputation, your time, your energy, like whatever it is. I'm willing to sacrifice this because I see value in that person. And if we don't see value, And it's what the enemy wants to do. He wants you to see less value like the disciples at the well. Be preoccupied. If he can't destroy you, he'll just distract you, the enemy. He'll just try to get you focused on you and your needs and your wants while everyone around you is falling away. I I, I think about this often. I know I'm way off script on my notes, but that's okay. You know, it, it, it says that, that we're going to stand before Christ someday. And there's a scripture that says he separates the sheep from the goats. And it talks about in that moment in that day that there's going to be tears, that, 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 that tears will be shed, that he's going to wipe away all tears. And I often wondered, like, why are people crying? Like, especially if you're in the, the sheep line. And I wonder if it's because we look over to the goat line and you see your relative. Imagine them that day just looking and going, why didn't you tell me? Ah, because I was busy building my 401k. Ah, because I didn't want to offend. Like, like what excuse would we have that day? Like, Like, what would we say in that moment or that time? the value that we place on that which is lost will determine the sacrifice that we're willing to pay to find it. And so we we back that into our theology or into our Bible and we recognize that lost people matter to God. Let's start first of all that, that you're priceless, that people are priceless in his eyes. Why do we know that? Because he was willing to give up everything his best, his all, for the sake of every person. Not just people that you like, but every person. The person that doesn't vote like you, the person that doesn't live like you, the prostitute, the pimp, the guy that's shooting up, the gang guy, like like everyone. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world, or this is how we know that God loves the world, is that he gave his one and only son. He, he gave his best, his all. He didn't send a fall guy. He took, imagine giving your kid for the sake of humanity. That speaks value. So what we see is that lost people, that, that all of humanity, those that we love and those that we don't love, those that we know, those that we don't know, everyone, everywhere. Francisco, my excavator yesterday, God loved, loves him so much so that he chose to put him out there with me on that moment. And what we see in this equation is, as our original scripture said, or our pilot text, is that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. So we see because lost people matter to God, God would show extreme value by showing extreme sacrifice, and Christ would come to live on this earth to ultimately die so that you and I could eternally live and have an intimate personal relationship with God the Father. And here's where it gets really personal. The way of Jesus is that Jesus says, now I want you to live like me. See the value, see the urgency, and give your life for reaching people. And so Jesus says this in Mark 16, 15. He says, go, we call it the great commandment. And the reason we call it the great commandment is because it's not a suggestion. Otherwise, we wouldn't engage with it. Go, and that word in the Greek actually means this, as you're going. Like not on April 10th, I think, is the date for the Easter egg hunt. Like, like, okay, we're going to do, we're going to reach lost people on that day. It's like the word go means as you're going, like when you wake up and you put your foot out in front of you, you are now going. Every person, every situation, every opportunity. And I, I, throughout the day, I'm always asking, what about this one, Lord? What about this one? What about this waitress? What about this person? And I want to be led by the spirit. Romans 8, 14 tells us, be led by the spirit of God. These are the sons of God. But it's like, as you are going, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone, everywhere. In other words, if God put, you, put them into your life, we should at least be asking the question, God, what about now? Lord, how can I turn a normal conversation into a gospel opportunity? Lord, what are the needs in their life? What are their hurts? What are their pains? How can I pray for them? And that's what it means when we say we are called to seek and save the lost. And I love what it says five verses later in verse 20. It says that the disciples, it says that when Jesus left them, it says, then the disciples went and preached everywhere. Jesus said, go. And they went. And you and I are a byproduct of that. And here's where I want to land the plane. I'm just being sensitive to the time is that this, is that we're living in one of the most volatile, toxic times in the history of humanity. God doesn't have like Moses here or Esther here or Ruth here or Paul here or Peter here or John here. He has Brandy here. He has Mark here. He has Gareth here, Jenny here. He has Nick here, that God chose to put you in this hour and you in this time to be light and salt and a voice to everyone around you. You may not be able to be reaching a nation right now for Jesus, but you can reach your neighborhood. Like You can reach people where you work, the places where people have built relationships with you. In fact, statistics show that 86 percent of all people that give their life to Jesus come through a relative friend, neighbor or coworker. Like how many people here ever gave their life to Jesus because someone knocked on your door, a stranger knocked on your door to share? So yeah, he didn't answer the door. That's OK. But, but how many? Look around. There, there's no hands. How, how many gave their life to Jesus because a relative friend, neighbor or coworker shared the love of Jesus? Look around the room. It's most all of us. So we have to ask ourselves the question, why did God, like, like, I'm not living in this neighborhood because I like this house and I, I bought this house because it will really fit our needs. Maybe that's the way that God tricked you to go there. But he placed you there because all of those neighbors, all of those neighbors are right in front of you my wife and I have got a little diagram of our whole neighborhood and all the different maps. And it might sound like a stalker, but I got, I'm always, it's like playing neighborhood bingo. I write their name in. Why? Because I want to know how to pray for them when I see them. I want to remember, remember their name. We're looking for ways to be able to touch all of those people around us. So ALC family, what would it look like? Like for us in this day, in this hour, we just kind of allow Jesus to touch our hearts and saying, Jesus, I want to walk in your ways. You're the way, you're the truth, you're the life. You read through Colossians 1, 15 through 23 that just talks about like why he came and who he is in us and how he empowers us and how he comes to just habitate in us. Not just so that we're happy and that we're whole and that we are content and blessed. Thank God for that. That's a byproduct. But God, help me. Come on, help me. Lord, when I wake up every day, God, to seek and to save the lost. Why? Because Jesus, I think that includes me. So why don't we do this? Why don't don't you bow your head for a moment? Let me pray for you. I want you just just to settle in just for a moment. I know some of you are thinking about brunch or whatever, but just like, it's like, Jesus, I just wanna stop. I wanna pause. I forget who's on my left and my right. And Lord, I'm asking you to speak to me today. And first and foremost, if anybody walked into the service today or you're online, And you've never really taken that step to start a personal relationship with Jesus. Maybe you pray, maybe you read your Bible, but you've never really said, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come and live inside of my life. Be my Lord, be my Savior. And you want to secure your relationship with him and eternity forever with him. If that's you, just slip your hand up real quickly. Say, Pastor Mark, you're speaking to me. Eyes are closed, heads are bowed, just hands up, thank you, thank you. Anyone else, just lift their hand. I just wanna be able to pray for you. Maybe some people online, maybe there's a host there and you can just connect and just say, I wanna pray that prayer. ALC family, pray this prayer with me. Say, dear Jesus, thank you today that you died for me so that I might be forgiven. I recognize I'm a sinner I fall short of your glory, and I thank you that you came and that you died so I could be reconciled to the Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Lastly, let me do this, and if you don't mind with your eyes open and your heads up. I like these kinds of, these kinds of ministry moments. Maybe today you recognize that throughout this whole season and the pressures and challenges and everything that you're facing that maybe you haven't engaged as much of thinking about people that are far from God. And you're here today and you go and you know what, Pastor Mark, would you pray for me? Would, would you pray that the Lord would touch my heart, open my eyes to see that I might or just recognize the hurting world around me. And Lord, I want to be used by you. Like Isaiah the prophet said, here am I, Lord, send me that you just go, Lord, I just want to be used in this day and hour. So if that's you, and I want to be able to pray for you with every eye open and every head up, just stand up and say, Pastor Mark, that's me, pray for me. Come on right now, you just stand to your feet. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Across the room. I'm the first to stand. I need this prayer every day. This doesn't mean that there's something wrong or bad in your life. It's just saying, I want more of Jesus. I want to live the way he lives. I want to love the way he loves. I want to be able to share the way that he shared. And you're just going, come on. Before I leave here today, God, my neighbor, the waitress at the restaurant, put someone in my path. What a beautiful thing. So do this for me. Just, just. Stretch your hands towards heaven. Lord, we come and we stop and we thank you that you did come and die for us because God, we are of priceless value to you that you sacrificed everything. And Lord, I pray for every person in this room, those listening online, God, that you would help us Lord, to see the value of people around us, those that are like us, those that are not like us. Lord, help us to lean in, help us to love, help us to pray, share, serve the world that's around us, Lord. And Lord, let the end result of our time be, Lord, that our neighbors and our friends and our relatives, our coworkers come to know you. And Lord, we ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And everything, all of God's people said, amen, amen.